Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. While the kids are getting out of here, I want to take a a moment just to say that um, you may or may not remember this, and I'm not really expecting you to, but it was this Sunday four years ago uh, that I preached from this stage for the first time, preached my my trial sermon. Uh, And again, I'm not expecting you to remember this, but the passage of scripture I preached on that day was Mark 4, verses 1 to 20, the parable of the sower. And I didn't plan this when we were designing this sermon series through the Gospel of Mark last summer, uh, but that is the same passage of Scripture that I'll be preaching on today. And it's not the same sermon, I, can ass- I, I promise that. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's a little better, but we'll see. Um, but because those things lined up, I just felt like it was appropriate to take some time. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, a lot has changed in the last four years for me and for us as a church. Uh, but what has not changed is that I'm grateful to get to be here and grateful to get to live life alongside you all. Uh, so thank you for listening to me four years ago if you were here and deciding you wanted to keep me around afterwards um, and letting me stay since then. I am, I am grateful. Um, and with that being said, let me pray for us, and then we will open up Scripture together. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your care for us each and every day, even when we don't recognize it right away. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship of you. We pray that you would be honored now as we open up your word together. As we see how your word goes out into the world, God, we ask that you would help us to listen as you speak to us so that you may be glorified through each and every one of us now and always. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, up until Easter, we are on a journey through the gospel of Mark. And to this point, we've been getting a sense of who Jesus is and what he has come to earth to accomplish. In the first week of this series, we were introduced to John the Baptist and how he came to prepare the way for Jesus in fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. In the second week of this series, we looked at Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River and how the voice of God from heaven speaks to confirm Jesus' identity as the Son of God and God's approval of his work. And how immediately after that, Jesus is sent out into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. And how through all of that, he is identifying with our human experience so that he might bring us redemption. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus forgive the sins of a paralyzed man and healing him. Last week, we saw Jesus' growing popularity in chapter 3 and how that's beginning to rub some people the wrong way, both his family and the religious establishment as he's upsetting social conventions and the status quo, and those are the sort of tensions that we are going to see underneath the surface, at least, if not outright throughout the rest of this book. But it might be natural at this point to ask the question, why is Jesus experiencing this sort of opposition? I mean, going back to chapter 1, Jesus comes up out of the water of the Jordan River. The Spirit of God descends from heaven like a dove. A voice from heaven speaks, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That would seem like a pretty good reference to say that Jesus is who he is claiming to be, and therefore he should be listened to and followed. And yet, we've seen that that hasn't been the case throughout his ministry. 
In chapter 2, we saw Jesus has the authority to heal and forgive sins. He brings the cure to our spiritual and our physical ailments, yet those actions start to cause people to wonder if maybe they need to try to get rid of Jesus. In chapter 3, last week, Jesus has says that he's come to set us free from the bonds of Satan and sin and death, and yet the things that he is saying cause people to decide that either he's insane, like his family concludes, or that he needs to be done away with. So if Mark is telling us that Jesus is doing good, if Mark has given us evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be, if voices from heaven are saying that he is the Son of God, then why hasn't everyone agreed up to this point? I think Jesus tries to give us an answer to that question with the parable that he tells us in Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Now, if I were to ask you uh, for a mental image of Jesus that comes to mind for you, I don't know what would come to mind right away, but my guess is one of the things you might think of pretty quickly is the idea of Jesus as a teacher. And that's good and appropriate. There have been countless paintings and artistic depictions of Jesus sitting on a hillside teaching with a crowd of people around him, and he spends a lot of his life and ministry teaching. But interestingly enough, Mark does not tell us nearly as much about Jesus' teaching as the other Gospels do. Matthew structures his entire Gospel around these five major sections of teaching from Jesus. John gives us all sorts of conversations Jesus has where he is teaching various people about who he is and and who God is and things like that. Luke gives us his own take with a lot of parables of Jesus that we don't hear in the other gospels. Mark doesn't tell us very much about the teachings of Jesus. Mark told us up to this point that Jesus is doing teaching. He just hasn't told us very much about what that teaching actually is until we get to this chapter in Mark 4 where Jesus sits down and tells us a series of parables. And so if Mark, who is typically much more concerned with the actions of Jesus instead of his words, thinks it's worth pausing here to tell us about Jesus' teaching, then that must mean that this teaching is significant. And the significance we find as we read it is Jesus is explaining why there are all these different reactions to his ministry that's taking place, and he's also telling us what will happen, what is available to us if we will listen to what he has to say. And so we get that in three scenes in this passage we're going to unpack today. First, Jesus tells a story, and then Jesus will explain why he told the story and and why he tells all his stories. And then lastly, he'll explain what that story means. So I want to take this passage in those three sections today. The first one is Mark 4, verses 1 to 9. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It, grew, it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
Like we have seen before, a crowd gathers around Jesus, and in a world before microphones, Jesus gets into a boat and pushes out into the water a little bit, which allows the water to amplify his voice as he teaches, and he begins telling this story. A farmer scatters seeds in his field, as was typically done in this time, and as he does so, the seed lands in various places with various results. Some seed falls on the path. Perhaps at some point this was fertile soil, but over time as people have walked over it, it has gotten hard to the point that now as the seed lands on it, it just remains on the surface and the birds in the trees nearby get a free lunch. And a potential harvest never even gets started. Some soil is is rocky. It may look good on the surface, and when the seed is first scattered, things seem promising, but over time... The soil is of a poor quality and a crop is not able to be sustained. Things grow at first, but when hard days come, the crop withers and dies. And what started out well is not able to endure. The third soil doesn't seem to have anything wrong with the soil itself other than what is already growing in the soil. And so, when the seed is planted, it goes into the soil, it begins to grow. Its growth is stunted because of the presence of thorns that choke out a potential harvest. There seems to be some growth, but it's an underwhelming result. Those first three soils all have varying levels of productivity, but in the end, none of them produce anything of value because there is no harvest. We do not have a farmer who's just looking to see what he can get to grow in what types of soil. We have a farmer who needs a harvest to feed himself and his family. So it doesn't matter how long the seeds remain in the soil if they never produce anything. But thankfully, not all the seeds and soils are unproductive because there is a fourth soil that is fruitful and the result is a bumper crop. It makes up more than the losses incurred from the first three soils, results ranging from 30 to 100 times greater than what was sown, which is not unheard of production in Jesus' day, but it is on the high end of what could be expected And so for as rough as things might have seemed with these first three soils, it is the productivity of the fourth soil that makes up for the losses and produces a harvest that is as fruitful as this farmer could have ever imagined. Now at this point, you might be familiar with the story. You might know where this passage of scripture is headed, and that's fine, and we'll get to that in a second. But if you can, for a moment, put yourself in the sandals of someone sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee listening to Jesus tell this story. Uh, what are you thinking at this point? I, I mean, you, you, you've heard about this rabbi who was saying and doing some interesting things. He's done some miracles. But to this point, all you've gotten is advice on how to plant your crops. I can speak from experience. When people need farming advice, they don't come to preachers. And it might seem like that's all that's taking place until we get to verse 9. Jesus concludes this parable by saying, Whoever has ears to hear... Let them hear. That gives us a clue that there might be more going on here than advice on how to plant seeds. And Jesus' closest disciples can get a sense that that must mean that there is something more to this story than what they can see on the surface. And so later they ask him to elaborate, which we are told about in verses 10 to 12. And as Jesus does elaborate, he gives us an idea of what this parable means, what all his parables mean, and ultimately what those mean for us. So let's read the next scene in this story, verses 10 to 12. Mark says that when when Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, 
The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I don't know for sure, but I have a hunch that this was not the explanation the disciples were anticipating. They had a sense Jesus was getting at something more. They asked him to elaborate on what that something more was, and he tells them that while they understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, not everyone will. And because that's the case, he tells parables, he tells stories to ensure that those who are on the outside remain there. Jesus tells us that his parables are misunderstood by some, and that is intentional. It would seem like a bad strategy. I can say from my own experience, every time I sit down to write a sermon, I make some bullet notes across the top of the document about what the goals are for that sermon, what I want you to know, what I want you to feel, what I want you to do in light of the words in this particular sermon. I can speak from experience. I have never once sat down and written, I hope they're more confused when I'm done than they were when I started. Now, we can be honest for a moment because the records I keep tell me this is the 165th time I've preached on this stage. That's probably happened at some point, uh, and I apologize for that, but it was not the goal. So why is it the goal of Jesus? Well, he explains why by quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. You might know that Isaiah chapter 6 is the prophet Isaiah's call into ministry. He has this incredible vision of God's glory that causes him to volunteer to be God's prophet. And after he does that, God gives him a commission. He says that Isaiah will go and he describes what this ministry will look like. And it is not a glorious image. He tells Isaiah that he will preach and people will listen, but they won't understand him. He says the people will, will see him, but they won't be able to perceive him. And the reason why is because they've dulled their eyes, they've hardened their hearts so that they can no longer receive the message of God. And so they're going to reject the message that Isaiah brings to them. And as they do so, it will confirm their rebellion against God and God's oncoming judgment. Now, when I was considering whether or not to enter into ministry, I received a lot of advice from a lot of people, a lot of thoughts on what that might look like, how the rest of my life might go if I make that decision. I did not have a single person give me a message like Isaiah receives at the beginning of his ministry here, that you should go out there, but just so you know, no one's going to listen to you and everything's going to be terrible. That's the message Isaiah gets, and it's the message that Jesus picks up on to describe why he tells parables. Just like how the preaching of Isaiah confirmed that the people were in rebellion against God, Jesus says that there are some people that are pushed farther away through being confronted with God's truth. And as those people hear this carpenter from Nazareth tell stories, they will walk away. Another way of saying it might be that for most people, when they look at the parables of Jesus, they see a confirmation of what they already believe. One scholar says that hearing a parable of Jesus is like looking at a political cartoon. When you look at a political cartoon, the meaning is not obvious right away. You have to read the caption. You have to interpret the symbols. Otherwise, you'll miss its meaning. If you were to look at a cartoon and you see an elephant and a donkey in conversation and they're both wearing suits, if you are not aware of the fact that those represent our two major political parties in our country, you're just going to think it's an odd drawing of two animals and move on. 
But if you do know those symbols and you look a little closer and start to understand its message, depending on your political opinions, you might have some sort of reaction. The, the, the drawing might align with your beliefs, and so you think, wow, that's a great depiction of the situation. I'm glad they could capture it so well. You might disagree with the message of the cartoon, and you think, well, I can't believe anyone would ever think this way about this issue. Maybe if you really engage with it, if you really thought about it and, and continued on thinking about what is the message contained in that cartoon, you might change your mind, you might end up voting differently than you would have otherwise if you really engage with what is there. But at the end of the day, that drawing is a creative depiction of a situation that brings about a variety of reactions. And something similar is happening as Jesus tells parables. Some people will listen to what Jesus has to say and think it's not for them. Some people will listen to Jesus and just be confused. Some people will listen to Jesus and think they understand when they really don't, and therefore they will miss out on what he's saying. But some will respond and have life in Jesus' kingdom. And that's what Jesus desires, even though he acknowledges it won't happen for everyone. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is calling us deeper. He's calling us to engage with him. He's calling us to think, but he's not just calling us to think. He's calling us to engage every part of who we are. He is aiming at our hearts, and we will not fully understand who he is and what he desires until we allow his teachings to get that deep inside us. To listen to Jesus' teachings is not to be intellectually enlightened. It is to be transformed from the inside out. So if that is the case, as we listen to these parables, Jesus must be speaking to us. He must be speaking to you and me, even as we read these words this morning. And that means that you and I are in this parable somewhere. And if that's the case, we need to look closely at what Jesus means with this story so that we can take what he desires for us. So let's look at the last scene in this passage where Jesus interprets his own parable for us. Picking up in verse 13, Mark tells us that Jesus said to the disciples... Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Just as seed produces different results in different soils, Jesus says that when his word goes out, it will bring about different responses. There are some people that are like hard soil along the path, and when they hear the message of Jesus, they just never give it a chance. Maybe they've been open to it at some point in the past, but now that has gone Maybe you've been this person, maybe you are this person, maybe you know someone who is this person for whatever reason, maybe they've been mistreated by the church in the past, feel like they've been hurt, maybe they've gone through difficulties in life and feel like God did not come through for them. Whatever it is, they've reached a point in life where they have decided they want nothing to do with Jesus. There are some people that are like rocky soil. 
And maybe at first they're excited. Maybe they go through some dramatic spiritual experience. Maybe they, they feel like they've been transformed. They've turned their life around completely. They want to change everything for the sake of Jesus, a New Year's resolution, whatever it might be. And we can get excited about those stories, and we absolutely should because they're worth celebrating. But Jesus also tells us that sometimes it can be the case that someone who starts well does not finish well. Sometimes everything looks good on the surface, but there are no roots underneath. And so when the new wears off, you are left with someone who does not stay the course. He says there are some people that are like soil with weeds. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the soil in and of itself, but with other things going on in the soil, there is no uh, ability for fruitfulness. Maybe that has been or is you. I fear that in the noise of our world, this soil might apply to more of us than we would care to admit. We've experienced this in our house lately. I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced this, but it turns out newborns require a lot of work. <laughs> News to me. Uh, and in the last few weeks, it has been great, and I'm not complaining or anything, if nothing else, because he's in the room right now. But, uh, <laughs> but it can be very easy, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, it can be very easy to go through a day just worried about the urgent to go through an entire day just worried about what needs to be taken care of right here and right now, and you get to the end of the day, you lay your head on the pillow at night, and you realize, I haven't spent a second thinking about God, thinking about his word, anything. All I've done all day is, is worry about what is right in front of me right now. We live in a culture of distractions, and many of them are good things. I'm not complaining about that at all, but those good things can keep us from the best things. We can lose the voice of Jesus in the shuffle of schedules and social media and shuttling our kids around. And when Jesus talks about this third soil, the only thing wrong with it, the only thing keeping it from being fruitful was that there were other things growing in the soil. And sometimes the only thing that prevents us from producing a harvest for the kingdom of God is the good things that crowd out the best things. But lastly... Jesus tells us that there are some people that are like the good soil and they take in the word of God and God does more than we could ever imagine with that. This is the soil Jesus desires us to be, that we would bring about a harvest in his kingdom. And I understand that not everyone, even in this room right now, fits the description of this fourth soil, but I can say that God's desire for us is to grow into the likeness of that sort of soil, if I can use that language. There's nothing in these words that says every person is stuck where they are. Hard soil is not hopeless. Sure, it needs to be tilled and worked over before seed can grow. Maybe you or someone you know is like a path right now, and yes, there will not be a harvest tomorrow, but there can be work done today and tomorrow and the next day that can ensure that there will be fruitfulness one day down the road. Maybe you or someone you know is, is shallow soil full of rocks that doesn't have the depth that is necessary to produce a crop. And that doesn't mean you give up, but it does mean that some work needs to be done. And some of that work can be hard, and some of that work can make you want to give up. I grew up in central Missouri, and I can't prove this, but sometimes it seems like rocks reproduce in central Missouri. 
And when you're trying to grow something in rocky soil, it requires a lot of diligence and attention. It requires walking the ground. It requires bending over to pick things up and throw them over the fence. And that's not always easy. It takes time and attention, but it is the work that has to be done if the soil is to be productive. Maybe you or someone you know is rocky soil and there's a desire to follow Jesus and that is good and I don't want to shame that, but there's not a commitment to complete obedience to him. And that type of person is not a lost cause. But I would invite you to do the work of getting the rocks out of the soil so that God can bring about fruit. Maybe you or someone you know is like a soil full of thorns and it could be productive, but the presence of other things growing simply means that a harvest is not possible right now. And that type of soil needs to be weeded so that fruit can grow, which is not always easy. When COVID first hit a few years ago, my mom at that point was a high school math teacher. And so with the onset of COVID, they had a couple weeks off of school. And so she decided that her project during COVID was going to be to go out into one of the pastures on my parents' farm and cut all the thorns out of the field. And she discovered pretty quickly that once you find one thorn and you, you cut it and you dig it out and you do all the things necessary to make sure that it doesn't come back, as you're cutting, up the, as you're cutting out that one thorn, you see three more thorns that need to be cut. And so you move on to the first of those three thorns, and while you're cutting that one, you see five more that need to be cut, and so on and so forth until you are ready to give up. It's not easy and glamorous work. But in a world with so many distractions, maybe the best thing we could do to bear fruit for God's kingdom is to cut out the distractions so that we can hear his voice. Because God desires to bring about a harvest in and through each and every one of us. And he might call us to remove things that have to be taken out of the way so that that can happen. And no matter who you are, no matter which one of those three soils you may or may not identify with, God desires that you would be fruitful. He desires that you would be open to his voice and be transformed into everything he's created you to be. Because if we believe that scripture is God's word, that means that when we open it up together, we have the opportunity to hear from God himself. So the problem is not whether or not God is speaking. The problem is whether or not we will listen. Jesus begins this parable in verse 3. He's, he begins this story by saying, listen, he wants our attention. He tells the story, and then in verse 9, the verse we read a couple times already, he concludes this story by saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That word for hear is the same word that was translated listen at the beginning of the story. Just in case we've forgotten, he wants us to reflect deeply on his words. He's not asking whether or not you can repeat back to him what he just said. He's asking if we have heard him, if we're taking it in deeply, if we are letting the voice of God transform us. And he concludes in verse 20, after he's explained everything, he concludes by saying that those who are fruitful soil are those that hear his word, that same language again, accept it, and produce a crop. So no matter who you are, right there is what God desires for you. That you would listen to his message and be transformed by it. That's what Jesus desires for each of us. That's what Jesus desires for you even today. God is speaking. It's up to us to listen. One of my favorite descriptions of parables comes from Eugene Peterson. He says the thing about parables that are so appealing is that when you first read them on the surface, they don't seem all that threatening. 
Jesus starts telling a story about a farmer scattering seed in his field. Well, that doesn't seem religious. That doesn't seem like it's about God at all. I can just sit back and be entertained by this story that Jesus is telling. But as we do that, as we relax our defenses, he says that an invasion is happening. And God's word is getting into us. And it's getting down deep inside us because the more we listen, the more we realize that those nice little stories that just seem entertaining on the surface are actually about us. These are not just stories for our entertainment. Jesus is telling stories for our transformation. These are stories that will turn our lives upside down if we will listen to them. And maybe today's the day that your world needs to get turned upside down. Maybe today's the day to connect with Jesus in a way you never have before. And if that's you, whatever that looks like, I'm asking you to respond to what God is saying. Stop by the Welcome Center before you leave today. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you, whatever you need, so that you might walk more faithfully with Jesus wherever he is leading you. Maybe today's the day to say that this Jesus, the one that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the one who came to earth for us, the one who's come to identify us with us completely, the one that's come to bring us healing and freedom, he is the one that we are to give everything to so that we can have life in his kingdom. If that's you, do not put that off any longer. Respond to Jesus and find life as you bear fruit in his kingdom. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.